Welcome, and thank you for joining the Cass County Health Department HealthCast. Our HealthCast is here to bring discussion and awareness to the services that we offer here at the Cass County Health Department, as well as ongoing and current issues in women's health. I am Hillary Kelly, and I am a health educator here, and we're with Louise Yale as well, both health educators here at the health department. So with that introduction, we'll just begin with our very first topic today. So today we're going to talk more in depth about nutrition and how it affects the human body. Many people may feel or be overwhelmed when they think of or talk about nutrition, but it doesn't really have to be that way. With some simple information that we'll talk about more in depth, um, you can have a better idea and sense of what you should be doing for your nutrition and lifestyle. Proper nutrition can really help many people to prevent, eliminate, and even reduce your chances of many chronic health diseases and illnesses that face Americans these days. Good nutrition can help you to reduce your chances of developing heart disease, type 2 diabetes, hypertension or high blood pressure, stroke, various types of cancers, uh, certain chronic lung, lung diseases, Alzheimer's disease, chronic kidney disease, fatty liver disease and, fa and failure, and even depression and anxiety. Good nutrition can also help us to have a strong immune system so we have a greater chance of fighting off the common viruses and bacterial illnesses that plague us every day. So let's break it down a little bit more in depth. So we're going to start with talking about macronutrients. So probably many people have heard of macronutrients, but what are they? Macronutrients are the nutritive components of food that your body needs for energy and to maintain the body's structure and systems. So we need these nutrients in large amounts in order for our body to function and get through our day. So there are three categories of macronutrients that we need and should consume each day. The big three are carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. If you talk to a few other dietitians or nutrition experts, they might say water to be considered a macronutrient as well, and it is very important in our diet so, and overall well-being, so we'll talk a little bit more about it as well. From these macronutrients is where we get our micronutrients, which are vitamins, minerals, your amino acids, and other essential nutrients needed for the body's various metabolic processes, along with maintenance of tissue and organ functions. The impact of micronutrients on the body's health can be very critical if there are any deficiencies in certain ones. It can cause some very serious and even life-threatening conditions that we want to try to avoid as much as we can. So getting the recommended serving of each macronutrient is very important to keep our body functioning to, uh, well and to its best. So what are these carbohydrates, proteins, and fats consist of and what do they do for our body? Carbohydrates are the body's main source of energy. They are broken down what's called glucose for your body's cells to be used for organ, fun organ function and muscle movements. Carbs also help to synthesize or build up certain amino acids, acids which help with muscle development and movement. They also can help with digestion so you have better and more consistent bowel movements. So then there are proteins, which are essential to help your body to build and repair tissue. Proteins contain what are called amino acids, which are the building blocks of muscle and most of the body's cells. It gives structure to our organs, muscles, and other tissues, along with creating enzymes and hormones that are essential for normal bodily functions, such as your heart to beat or pump blood, liver to metabolize nutrition or nutrients, and for your muscles to help move you throughout your day. So then there are fats, which a lot of people have a fear of or think that all fat is bad, which is not the case at all. You need certain fats in your diet for your body to function. Fats help to store energy so it can be used later on. It helps to insulate and cushion your internal organs and make certain hormones for your body's natural processes. Fats also transport and absorb fat-soluble solu vitamins along with helping cell membrane structure and health. So fats are really needed in your diet. If it's just choosing the right type of fats to consume, that will better and prolong your health in the long run, which will get you to more where you're coming from. So now let's break it down a little bit more into what food groups are and how they are essential to our nutrition. So you might have heard more about the food groups and what you should be consuming from them. We're going to go a little bit more in depth into them, what everyone can have for a better understanding what foods, foods are in each group, what foods are better to consume from each of these groups, and how much is recommended. The first group we're going to talk about is grains. Grains consist of food that are made of wheat, rice, oats, cornmeal, barley, and other cereal grains. Some examples of these foods in this group are breads, pasta, you got your breakfast cereals, grits, and tortillas. Other foods such as like popcorn, rice, and oatmeal are also included in this grain group. This group is considered a carbohydrate and can give the body a good source of fuel along with fiber from your whole grains, which is great for feeling fuller longer and aiding in digestion. 
From this grains group, there are two subgroups or categories, which consist of whole grains, also known as your complex carbohydrates, and your refined grains, also known as simple carbohydrates. Whole grains consist of the whole plant or the entire grain kernel when processed. This less processed group will give you more of your vitamins and minerals needed for your body. Some examples of these whole grains are whole wheat flour, bulgur, which is cracked wheat, oatmeal, and brown rice. Refined grains have been milled to a greater extent, which removes the bran and the germ of the wheat plant. This is done to give the grain a finer texture and improve their shelf life, but it also removes a lot of good nutrients that we need for our body, such as fiber, iron, and many B, vitam B vitamins, which is essential for digestion and energy levels. Examples of these refined grains are like white flour, corn grits, some white bread, and white rice. If you do purchase refined grains, they should be enriched variety or say enriched on them. This means that during the milling process, the manufacturer added back certain B vitamins and iron, but fiber is not added back into these grains, which helps with digestion. So it's better to try and consume whole grain products to get the fiber and essential vitamins and minerals. Only foods that are made with 100% whole grains are considered a whole grain food, so be mindful when you shop to find these products that are 100% whole grain. The next food group we're going to talk about are vegetables. Any vegetable or 100% vegetable juice fits into this category. There are so many vegetables out there that you can find and should be eaten. Varying your vegetables and incorporating colorful palate in your diet will help you to get a variety of nutrients, but also to keep you from getting bored or straying away from that food group. Vegetables can be consumed in a variety of different ways, raw or cooked. You can eat them fresh, frozen, canned, or dried, eating it whole, cut up, or even mashed. Vegetables are also considered part of the carbohydrate macronutrient category and considered a complex carb because it can help to fuel your body through the, its nutrients. Vegetables are going to be more naturally lower in calories along with giving a good amount of fiber which aids in keeping you fuller longer. So if you're trying to lose weight, adding a lot of vegetables in your diet will be very helpful. Plus, vegetables have a great deal of the essential vitamins and minerals we need for our body's processes such as hair and skin maintenance, better vision, a better immune system support, healthy blood cells, and muscle and nerve functioning. Fruits are another great food group to discuss and are considered a carbohydrate as well because of their sugar content and being broken down for our body's energy source as glucose. Any fruit or 100% fruit juices are included in this food group. Fruits can come in a variety of shapes, sizes, and tastes, so just like vegetables, it's easier to incorporate a variety into your diet so you don't get bored. Fruits can be fresh, frozen, canned, dried or dehydrated, and can be eaten whole, cut up, pureed or mashed, or even cooked. Fruits also offer a great variety of nutrients needed for a healthy body and mind. They aid in digestion and, again, are naturally lower in calories than processed food while keeping you fuller longer, so you don't overconsume on what those not-so-good foods are for you. Since they do have more sugar and compared to vegetables, the recommended recommendation for servings or amount of fruits eaten each day is a little smaller, but we can go into more of that further down the road. The vitamins and minerals absorbed from eating fruits can help with energy levels, your heart beating correctly and efficiently, and again, muscle and nerve functioning, just to name a few. Next we have is protein. Protein is very essential because it provides the building blocks needed for growth, replacement, and maintenance of many of our body tissues and cells. It is also essential for health healing along with building a strong immune system. Protein foods include all foods made from seafood, meat, poultry, and eggs. It also includes beans, peas, lentils, some nuts and seeds, and different soy products. Beans, peas, and lentils are also considered part of the vegetable group based on their structure and content. You want to eat a variety of protein foods to get more of the nutrients your body needs because all offer various amino acids, which are the building blocks of muscles and cells, along with healthy fats. Your meat and poultry choices should be lean or low fat, such as like 93% uh, lean ground beef, pork loin, or skinless chicken breast. Now, these types of meat sources do have natural fats, such as trans and saturated fats, that are not as heart healthy, so choosing leaner sources will help to avoid that. Seafood choices are going to have a healthier fat, such as the omega-3s and 6s, which we'll go into a little bit more depth in a second. So incorporating these into your diet is very important. Salmon, anchovies, and trout are some very good options. If you don't like meat or choose not to eat meat sources, don't worry. There are still a lot of good choices for protein sources that can be consumed, such as beans, lentils, peas, nuts, seeds, and also soy products. Another group that not all, all people think about is the dairy group. So dairy is important for all ages because it can provide a great source of protein, fats, and calcium, which is needed for the de development and maintenance of muscles and the bones. 
This group includes milk, yogurt, your cheeses, and lactose-free milk and fortified soy milk and yogurts. You want to try and consume lower fat or fat-free dairy products because, again, just like protein, it can contain saturated and trans fats that are not so good for our bodies. There are a few foods out there that are not included in this group because they have little calcium properties and are higher in fat content. These foods include like your cream cheese, sour cream, cream, and butters. Now comes the fat food group, and this is where I think a lot of people kind of get confused on. You do need fats in your diet for a variety of bodily functions and processes. Fats contain what are called essential fatty acids along with omega-3 and omega-6 fats. These essential fatty acids are needed for brain development and function along with healthy cells and normal growth and development. They can also provide energy, cushion, and support our internal organs and be used as signals for proper cellular communication. So you can see what we do need for consumed fats, just good fats. So what are good and bad fats? This I think people get confused on again. So what is good and bad fats? Your good and not so bad for you fats are going to be what is called monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats. Monounsaturated fats come from plant products and they are going to be dark colored and green in color. Some examples would be like olives, almonds, you got your avocados, your nut butters, then cooking oils such as olive, canola, sesame, or peanut oil. The polyunsaturated fats come from plant products as well, along with finding them in seafood sources. So examples of these would be nuts and seeds, such as walnuts, pepitas, or peanuts. You got your salmon, shrimp, anchovies, or trout, along with supplemental sources such as flaxseed, which can be added to a lot of different dishes. Those are the types of fat you want to consume where you eat fats in your diets. Now, the fats that are not good for you or you want to try to avoid as much as possible are the saturated and trans fats. Saturated fats are solid at room temperature and generally are animal-based foods or products. Some examples of these include like skin on poultry or visible fat on meats, your butter, your full, full fat milk and cheeses. Trans fats are hydrogenated fats that are processed or man-made. These can be fried foods, processed foods such as crackers and pastries, pie crusts, cookies, cakes, and etc. These type of fats, if consumed a lot over time, can cause some various serious health issues such as clogged arteries, excess weight gain, heart disease, and fatty liver disease. So cutting back on these fats and using those good fats will help to improve your overall health in the long run. So last group I'm going to go over briefly is water. Now, like I said earlier, some people might consider this to be another macronutrient because it is very important. Water is essential to life. Our bodies are made up of about 70% of water and it aids in a lot of bodily functions. Water transports essential nutrients to all of our body parts, aids in our digestion, and helps regulate our body's core temperature. Without water, we cannot survive, so it's really important to keep up with your water intake. Doing more water than sugary drinks will help to decrease calories and excess sugar content along with you making you feel better. So now that we've gone over all the food groups and macronutrients, now the question is, how much do we eat of each? So everyone is going to be different in what their nutritional needs are, which is going to be based on your body size, your weight, amount of physical activity, and just your ultimate goals. We're not going to go into that more in depth because it does vary so much from person to person. If you'd like to find your exact number of calories and servings, there are a lot of great resources out there that will help you. But for today, I'm going to discuss the servings based on a 2,000 calorie plan, which most people is a standard calorie and for most Americans that should be consuming and what nutritional labeling is based on. So based on a 2,000 calorie diet, here are the serving sizes of each food group that is recommended to be consumed. For the grains group, you should consume 6 ounces of preferably whole grains per day. A serving of this consists of one slice of whole wheat bread, a half a cup of cooked oatmeal, a small tortilla, or perhaps a half a cup of cooked brown rice. From the vegetable group, you want to try and eat a variety where you can eat more whole foods, cooked, mashed up, or in various casserole dishes. You should consume two and a half cups of vegetables per day. One cup counts as like a cup of cooked raw or cup of raw vegetables, a small avocado, a medium-sized baked potato, or two cups of salad greens. For fruits, you want to try and get two cups of fruits per day. Examples of what one cup of fruit would be would be one small apple, one large banana, a cup of grapes, or one cup of 100% fruit juice. Now your protein sources should be a variety of lean meats, seafood, beans, or nuts and seeds. You should consume 5.5 to about 6 ounces of protein per day. Some examples would be one ounce cooked lean chicken, pork or beef, or one ounce of tuna fish, 
a tablespoon of peanut butter, or one large egg. Then the last food group is dairy, which per day should be consumed three cups. One cup of dairy counts as one cup of dairy milk or yogurt that could be lactose-free or some soy dairy products along with one one and a half ounces of hard cheese. Fats and oils are another group that is important for our diet but should be consumed in moderation. The recommended serving per day for fats and oils is three tablespoons and you want to try to consume more liquid plant fats such as olive or canola oil compared to animal or tropical oils. So some examples of one serving of fat or oil is one tablespoon of olive oil, a tablespoon of light salad dressing, or a tablespoon of low-fat mayonnaise. So like I said earlier, water is pretty essential to how we live and how we function properly. So trying to drink plenty of water throughout your day and avoiding those sugary or empty calorie drinks will really help to better your nutrition and health. Water intake can vary from person to person again and based on your activity, but it is recommended that an adult should consume 9 to 13 cups of water per day with one cup equaling 8 ounces. Again, this may vary as well based on your body size and activities, so reaching for that might vary, but for an adult, a good range is 9 to 13 cups. So another food group that we really haven't talked about much is sugar. Too much sugar in our diet can really put a detriment on our health. It can cause some serious diseases and problems such as becoming overweight or obese, along with developing type 2 diabetes and heart disease. You see a lot of added sugar in processed foods along with adding it to your drinks and meals. So based on that 2,000 calorie diet recommendation, added sugar should be limited to 50 grams or 12 teaspoons. And if you can go lower than that, that will even be better benefits. So just going over how much food we should be eating, many people are asking, well, what is really a portion size versus a serving size? Portion size and serving size are not the same, but sometimes can be perceived to be the same. So a portion size is that amount of food that you choose to eat for a meal or snack. A serving size is a specific measured amount of food that is set as a standard and recommended for that food established by research done on eating habits for adults and children. This serving size helps to calculate how many calories along with nutritional values such as carbs, proteins, and fats are in that food. So really we should be consuming a serving size, serving size of foods compared to a portion size. Nutritional labels will distinguish what is a proper serving size for their foods. But for whole foods such as proteins, nuts, fruits, and vegetables, there is an easy reference to use on how much or a serving size should be. You can definitely use serving cups or a scale to help you get the right amount, but if you don't have that, you can use your hand as a reference, which can give you a good estimate of how much a serving size should be. Now again, everyone's a little bit different in size and shape, so it will vary based on your size. So using your hand, your palm of your hand with no fingers is about three ounces of fish, meat, or poultry. The next one is the length of your thumb from where it starts from the hand to the tip, and that is about one ounce of meat or cheese. When you make a fist with your hand, that will be about one cup or one piece of medium fruit or vegetable. If you have a cup tam, this will be about a serving of nuts or pretzels or some sort of snack. Then when you use your thumb again, you want to use the first knuckle to the tip, and that's one tablespoon. That will be for about oils or for certain oils and salad dressings. Then the last one is using your tip of your finger. From the tip of your finger to the first joint of your pointer finger will be a teaspoon, which is used again for oils and salad dressings. So again, this will vary from person to person. Some people have larger hands than others, but those people might be larger in size as well. So they need more food in their diet as well to keep up with their nutritional needs. So I know nutrition can be overwhelming and you can really dive deep into it if you really would like to. But here are some simple tips to take away to help you make better choices for your eating and nutritional habits. Some of these tips I've already may have mentioned in previous segments. And some are new things that might be helpful to improving your eating habits. So the first tip would be to eat whole foods instead of processed foods. Whole foods will fill you up and give you better energy levels. Processed foods provide a significant amount of calories without filling you up and your hunger levels keep coming back. The next one would be to try to eat a a rainbow of colorful fruits and vegetables. This gives you a variety along with the nutrients you need for healthy body functions. and also gives you fiber which will keep you stay fuller longer and reduce eating extra calories. The next one would be to eat protein with every meal or snack. This will help fill you up without providing or without giving you too many calories. And helps also helps to build and maintain muscle mass. Next one would be to drink 9 to 13 cups of water per day. 
This helps to increase your hydration and metabolic functions. It also helps to increase your fullness, especially before meals. It also helps you to stay away from those sugary drinks and empty calories. So another tip would be to eat smaller serving sizes of all your foods. So like we talked earlier, serving sizes are a lot smaller than what we think. And if you watch your serving sizes, this is going to reduce your calories and you won't overeat. Next, you want to slow down when you're eating. This helps your brain catch up to your stomach. Your stomach releases a hormone called leptin and it takes about 20 minutes to kick in and catch up to your brain. Next would be to make small changes. This can add up to big ones in the long long run. So examples would be like using skim milk instead of 2%, using honey as a sweetener instead of table sugar, using olive oil or nonstick spray instead of butter, having a side salad with your sandwich instead of fries or chips, steamer grilling your foods instead of frying, and etc. There's lots of little things you can do that add up in the long run. Another tip would be to be patient. Your body takes time to make these different processes and changes. You didn't gain weight or lose weight overnight. It's not going to come back or you're going to make those changes overnight. So be patient with your processes. Next tip would be to be mindful of why you're eating. You don't want to try and eat because you're bored, stressed, or due to peer pressure. So if you feel like you're hungry in between meals, here's a trick. Try and drink a glass of water instead of of eating and then wait about 15 minutes and and see if you're still hungry. If you're still hungry, then you probably are. If not, you're doing it out of a different type of atmosphere. Next is to log your food intake in a journal or app, just even for a few days. This will help to increase your body awareness, understand your current habits, and help you to make changes if you need it. And then also make some weekly nutritional goals and write them down. That way you can go back if you're feeling down or low and just need some understanding, and that helps you to keep on your goals a little bit better. Next one is a big one that we didn't really talk about is to get seven to nine hours of quality sleep per night. This is one I know a lot of people are having a, have a hard time getting. Um, it helps you to easier be easier to control your hunger and have more energy for your different exercises. It lets your body to fully recover from the previous days and then have, lets you have a better mental clarity and focus more towards your goals. Next would, get, would be to get physically active. This will help to burn more calories, clear you mentally, and help you to make better choices. And then the last one is to recognize how you feel with better eating. So I thought I would come in here today just to discuss some um, some things about nutrition and pregnancy and lactation because I think that those areas have a lot of myths attached to them, a lot of missteps that sometimes people can take without really realizing that there are much better nutrition choices that can be made in both of those periods in a person's life. So... Pregnancy and lactation require intense maternal body adaptations and changes in nutritional needs to support the growth and the development of the fetus. So certain nutrients are particularly important when pregnant and breastfeeding. And so while not much additional nutrition is required, in fact, it's very little, you do not need to eat for two, as the common and popular saying might lead moms to believe that they need to do. However, pregnancy requires a lot from your body, but it has to be properly cared for during this stage within life. So you can do that very easily. You really only need an extra three to 400 calories daily to be a well-nourished pregnant and lactating person. So something to keep in mind when you are making choices um, about what you're eating and what you're drinking when you're pregnant or when you're lactating is that you really are setting a health precursor for the remainder of your life as well as the the changing stages throughout development of your child's life. So these choices that you are making presently during your pregnancy or you know choosing to breastfeed and the choices that you make while lactating can actually help to decrease the incidence of some of our nation's biggest killers in adult life, heart disease, cancers, those things you can actually help to prevent and help your child have a healthier life and hopefully pass on to their children by making good nutrition choices in this period of time. So some of the more interesting or hot topics per se in nutrition currently, uh, one of them is choline. So choline has actually become a very hot topic for nutrition during pregnancy. So large amounts of choline-derived molecules are needed during your pregnancy to support fetal development. So this supports the rapid cell division, the growth, and nerve myelination. 
in the brain. So the myelin is a protective coating that surrounds nerves and helps them transmit information quickly. So in early stages of life, this is an extremely important development. Um, so knowing that we know about those developments, unfortunately, data suggests that most pregnant women in the United States consume less choline than is recommended. So researchers have recently examined 54 studies that take a look at the relationship between maternal choline intake, neurological development, and brain functioning during the first 1,000 days of life. So researchers have found that choline supplementation during pregnancy was associated with faster information processing in infants and improvement in memory-related tasks. These authors further suggested that maternal supplementation with choline um, does help support normal brain development and that higher doses may protect against neural and metabolic abnormalities. So according to the National Academy of Medicine, pregnant women should consume 450 milligrams a day of choline from either food or supplemental sources. So the U.S. survey data indicates that the average choline intake among pregnant individuals is about 319 milligrams a day, and only 8.5% of pregnant women consume choline at or above the recommended amount. So furthermore, individuals who avoid eggs and animal proteins have even lower choline intakes. So while beef, eggs, chicken, fish, and pork have the highest concentrations of choline, providing more than 60 milligrams for 100 milligrams of product, cow's milk is likely the primary contributor to the daily dietary choline intake in the U.S. Choline is a critical nutrient during pregnancy and lactation for neurocognitive development before and after the birth with lasting effects in children. While further studies are needed to understand whether these effects persist into adulthood, in particular with choline, most pregnant and breastfeeding women consume inadequate amounts of it. That much we do know, and prenatal and postnatal vitamins are typically insufficient in the amounts of choline that they are providing to the people who take them. So more commonly known um, in pregnancy and is very helpful in the early prenatal period is folic acid. So the U.S. Public Health Service recommends that all women of a childbearing age consume 400 micrograms of folic acid each day. So folic acid is a nutrient that's found in some leafy green vegetables, most berries, nuts, beans, citrus fruits, and fortified breakfast cereals, and it is within some vitamin supplements. So folic acid can help reduce the risk of neural tube defects, which are birth defects of the brain and the spinal cord. These typically develop within the first trimester, and neural tube defects can lead to varying degrees of paralysis, incontinence, and sometimes intellectual disability. Folic acid is most commonly thought about when people are taking a prenatal vitamin. I do feel that a lot of people are aware of folic acid and the need for it within the first trimester. However, I do think that it's really important that people understand that you can find it in very easily obtainable food sources and you can work on taking in your folic acid that way as well. Sometimes prenatal vitamins don't always agree with a pregnant person's body and stomach and they, they have been known to make people feel really ill, feel really sick. So eating these types of clean vegetables, these clean food sources like the nuts and these other type of snacks, which snacks are a great thing in pregnancy too, <laughs> It's extremely helpful in understanding that and knowing that you can still take your folic acid daily recommended dose without a vitamin, if need be. So no matter where you are in your pregnancy, there is sure to be a new and popular diet trending somewhere out there on social media. It's really important to consider that such diets may have negative effects on the pregnant mother or her developing child. So there is limited research on how fad diets affect pregnant women or their unborn children. And in fact, pregnant and breastfeeding women are often excluded from research on certain diets to avoid potential risks to the mother and the baby. Um, so some of the more popular ones that we've probably all heard about at one point or another would be the ketogenic, intermittent fasting, and the paleolithic diets, keto, paleo. So... What we do know about their impact or their potential impacts on pregnancy is, is little, but it's very basic and it's very easy to understand and how um, this, could, this could eventually impact the pregnancy, birth, and infancy. 
these diets always have the potential to to do that. However, diet isn't a term that should probably go well with pregnancy at all. So here's a little bit of what we know about these. So the keto diet consists of a low-carbohydrate, high-fat diet. Primary foods included are dairy, vegetables, and lean meats. Foods that are avoided, in addition to sweets, include breads, pastas, grains, beans, and starchy vegetables. So following this diet results in ketosis, which is a metabolic state that burns fat as the primary source of energy rather than carbohydrates, which is the preferred fuel for the brain and the nervous system. So it's speculated that prolonged ketosis could be concerning for a mother and her baby. So studies in animals have reportedly have reported potential really adverse fetal effects, including changes in brain structure. So one and only one study in pregnant women found that carbohydrate-restricted diets may increase the risk of having a child with a neural tube defect, which, as we talked about before, is a serious problem affecting the closure of the spinal cord. So one reason for this may be that certain carbs, um, certain foods that have the, the carbohydrates are fortified with folic acid, and they're not allowed on this keto diet. So breads, grains, and cereals are fortified with the folic acid, a mandate by the FDA since 1998. So we're accustomed to that at this point. So studies have found that even in cases of folic acid supplementation, women who severely restrict carbohydrates still do not meet folic acid needs. So interestingly enough, one study even found that prior to folic acid fortification, so before 1998, low-carbohydrate diets during pregnancy were associated with the risk of neural tube defects, even still, indicating that other nutrients or nutrient synergies may be involved. So regardless of the diet, women are encouraged to take folic acid supplements, eat foods that are rich in folic acid at one month or at least in the first two months of pregnancy. So in non-pregnant women, um, following a ketogenic diet, there is increased perceived fatigue, particularly with exercise, and made daily activities a lot more strenuous. So pregnancy can put stress on the body, and maintaining energy and stamina throughout pregnancy is important for overall wellness and daily functioning. So it's an important point to notice what the potential side effects can be in women who are not experiencing pregnancy and then kind of exasperate it when you want to put pregnancy into the equation. So intermittent fasting is sometimes done as a part of the keto diet, but it can also be done in isolation. So this diet consists of either alternate day fasting or time-restricted feedings and is typically used for weight loss. Thus, the goal of this diet is to counter the goal of healthy weight gain during pregnancy, which is necessary for appropriate fetal development and growth. So early in pregnancy, Fasting is likely to be incompatible with morning sickness as small frequent meals and snacks help decrease nausea and vomiting, whereas an empty stomach makes nausea considerably worse. In the later stages of pregnancy, the pressure of the growing fetus on the digestive tract makes eating large amounts of food in one sitting uncomfortable and can aggregate reflux. Thus, pregnant women are encouraged to eat frequent, small meals as they are more easily tolerated, an eating pattern that is at odds with intermittent fasting. Research on intermittent fasting during pregnancy primarily comes from studies of pregnant women who participate in Ramadan. So I think this is a really interesting perspective to consider because there are religious and cultural applications to all of the practices that we come into here in the United States considering pregnancy and breastfeeding. So Ramadan is an approximately 30-day period of prayer and fasting practiced by those of the Islamic faith every year. So fasting during Ramadan involves abstaining from any food or liquids for 11 to 18 hours during the day and then consuming larger meals after sundown. So one study found a correlation between nausea in the first trimester and a fasting diet with large and frequent meals. So maternal fasting has also been associated with decreased occurrence of fetal breathing movements, but interestingly enough, decreased rates of gestational diabetes were found in those who fasted in the second and third trimesters. So as more research is really needed and required regarding the impact of fasting on pregnancy and the outcomes, it's always best to consult a healthcare provider if you're considering, you know, needing to make the attempt to fast during pregnancy. Because really, 
they'll probably be able to help you devise a plan in a way that you can optimize safety for yourself and the baby during that period of time. So our, our last fad diet to discuss here is the paleo diet um, that is based on foods that were consumed by humans in the Paleolithic era and consists of lean meats, fish, vegetables, nuts, and seeds. This diet avoids foods that have emerged from modern farming like dairy, grains, and processed foods. And in non-pregnant women, consuming a paleo diet for more than six months has been associated with an iodine deficiency. So this is likely because the paleo diet excludes two major iodine sources, table salt and dairy products. And sources, sources such as seaweed are not commonly consumed in the United States. So in pregnancy, iodine needs increased due to elevated metabolic demands. So lack of sufficient iodine can lead to thyroid problems in both the mother and the fetus and can further impact infant metabolism and brain development. A recent study among pregnant women found that the paleo diet was associated with lower uh, average birth weights than on a non-paleo diet. So, however, this was not associated with adverse outcomes for the babies, but interestingly enough, the paleo diet did show improved glucose tolerance tests, which suggests uh, potential for improved blood glucose in control in women with gestational diabetes. So another study has found that paleo diets were associated with higher intake of vitamins C and E and antioxidants, yet with decreased calcium intake. So calcium is very important for fetal skeletal development, and low levels have been associated with adverse health outcomes in the mother and the child. So in general, it is recommended that women avoid beginning the paleo diet during their pregnancy, and women who have polycystic ovarian syndrome may be recommended to adhere to a diet similar to the paleo diet prior to conception. So these women should consult with their healthcare professional regarding maintenance of this diet. And if a woman who has already been, you know, utilizing the paleo diet or something similar becomes pregnant, it's suggested that she begin to supplement iodine, folic acid, and calcium. So, you know, really all of these diets, they kind of have, here's where it might work well, but here's where it may not work well. So typically in pregnancy, it's never worth the risk. So the USDA, um, the MyPlate, recommends that pregnant women eat three balanced meals daily, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, with two to three small snacks in between. Women need nutrients from all of the food groups, grains, vegetables, fruits, proteins, and dairy or dairy substitutes to support a healthy pregnancy. So as an example, breakfast can include fruit, scrambled eggs with bell peppers, whole wheat toast, and low-fat milk. Lunch and dinners could include healthy proteins like grilled salmon, which, by the way, fully cooked, mm -hmm. chili with beans, and vegetables like green beans or a spinach salad with a light dressing. So good snack ideas would be carrots, apples, and low-fat yogurt. So um, if you go to myplate.gov, www.myplate.gov, you can actually go on and try to work up a free and personalized meal plan for yourself and your pregnancy. So some things to avoid consuming in pregnancy um, would be foods like hot dogs, lunch meats, like bologna, other deli meats like that, things that are cold, packaged cold like mm -hmm. that. Um, it has been stated that you can reheat them until they're steaming hot. Mm -hmm. However, that's that's up to the individual. Typically, they are advised to not consume those. So the risk there is listeria, mm -hmm. a bacterial infection that can be really unsafe in pregnancy. Um, also to avoid would be soft cheeses that are like unpasteurized. Mm -hmm. So brie cheese is probably the most obtainable of those cheeses for people. Again, a bacterial risk is possible there as well. So fish consumption falls into the same category. Um, sushi's off the table. You know, raw fish, of course, right. is, is not recommended. But if you eat a lot of fish in your diet normally, the best way to maintain, like, still consuming mm -hmm. fish during your pregnancy is to rotate all the different types of fish that you're consuming. So you want to keep your mercury levels, your mercury intake down, mm -hmm. And some fish have more than other fish. Older fish have more mercury within their bodies than, you yeah. know. Younger. So, yeah, than fish, younger yeah. fish. So you just want to make sure you're rotating that. Get a good balance 
of different types. Some of the suggested types, salmon, trout, herring, sardines, pollock, rotate those fish. So pregnancy is a metabolically very stressful time. So in order to adapt to the pregnant state, women are encouraged to have a well-rounded and healthy diet that includes all of the food groups. Pregnant women, those trying to become pregnant, they should all be reminded that their diet is an essential part of fostering a healthy pregnancy and healthy infant. Prenatal vitamins that include appropriate amounts of folic acid, iron, iodine, calcium, and vitamin D are recommended for most women. So consult your healthcare provider or a registered dietitian for any nutritional guidance that you might need. So the next topic, um, moving on from pregnancy into lactation. So it is important for lactating people to continue to eat healthy and intake an additional small amount of extra calories every day. So as for multivitamins, the continued use, like of your prenatal vitamin that you were taking beforehand, um, might now exceed the iron and the folic acid needs of a breastfeeding person. So some people, though, such as those that are on a vegetarian or a vegan diet, may not get the adequate nutrients through their diet alone, and they might be at a greater risk for nutritional deficiencies. So in addition, the recommended dietary allowances, which is the average amount of vitamin or mineral that meets the daily nutrient needs of healthy, nearly all healthy people, for some nutrients like iodine and choline, these increase while you're breastfeeding. So therefore, it's possible that diet alone just might not be sufficient to endure adequate nutrition for women going through this period of their life. So in this case, breastfeeding people may benefit from taking a multivitamin supplement, but really your healthcare provider is going to be working with you during that lactation stage to determine the appropriate dietary supplements that you need during lactation. So a mother's need for iodine and choline increases during lactation, and the dietary guidelines for Americans recommend that lactating parents consume 290 micrograms of iodine and 550 milligrams of choline every day throughout the first year postpartum. So iodine can be found in dairy products, eggs, seafood, or in table salt. And choline can be found in dairy and protein food groups such as eggs, meats, some seafood, beans, peas, and lentils. So healthcare providers can also work with lactating parents to, to determine if they need any of these supplements to achieve this adequate intake. So outside of limiting caffeine and mercury, which is, you know, a little bit, we talked a little bit about the mercury during pregnancy. Um, caffeine, I think, is a, a very obvious one that we all know that we have to limit during that period of time. It's not that you have to cut it out, but it does need to be limited. Um, there are really no foods that are off limits to lactating parents. People from across the world of all different cultures intake all different kinds of foods from all walks of life and successfully breastfeed babies. Um, if you are a, veg a vegan or a vegetarian, just know that the breastfed infants of women who do not consume any animal products will likely have limited amounts of B12. Mm -hmm. So these low amounts of B12 can put the infant at risk of having a deficiency in themselves, which can result in neurological damage. So and that may sound extreme, but B12 deficiencies can be really yeah, extreme. Yeah, it can be for sure. So keeping an eye on that is really important. So iron may also be of concern as plant source foods only contain um, like uh, non-heme iron. Yep, non-heme iron. Thanks for that. Mm -hmm. The nutrition expert weighs <laughs> in. <laughs> Which is much less bioavailable than heme iron. So the American Dietetic Association recommends that B12 supplementation during pregnancy and while breastfeeding for moms who eat vegan or vegetarian diets. So healthcare providers again, will work with lactating individuals eating a vegetarian or vegan diet to even just determine if they need this supplement or other nutrients such as choline, zinc, iodine, or omega-3 fats. So they'll be keeping an eye out if you're a vegan or a vegetarian for some of those types of deficiencies. So once again, same thing, carrying over whether you're pregnant, whether you're not pregnant, lactating, not lactating, Making healthy food choices along with regular physical activity will keep you healthy while you're breastfeeding. 
Uh, choose a variety of foods and beverages and build your own healthy eating style. So this includes foods from all of the groups. Again, fruits, vegetables, grains, dairy, and protein. Mm-hmm. So try to make half of your plate fruits and vegetables. Try to make at least half of your grains whole grains. Yep. Try to move low fat. Try to move to low fat. fat or fat free milk, mm-hmm. yogurt, cheese, and try to vary on your proteins. So another thing that a lot of breastfeeding people will come to discover is that they're super hungry yeah, and they're very thirsty. So eat to hunger and drink to thirst. Mm-hmm. So if you feel like you need, you know, a couple more glasses of water in the day than you did, you probably yeah, you do. probably do. Yep. Yeah. And you just need to follow your body's yep. cues. One thing to be extremely aware of, coming back to the fads, um, there's a lot of fad beverages as well yes, for, for sure. breastfeeding. So if you want to try an herbal tea, if you want to try, you know, a drink that you read online, you have to educate yourself about what you're drinking. So mm-hmm. um, one of the bigger ones, right, you know, in recent years has been energy drinks and mm-hmm. people will load up mm-hmm. on these energy drinks. They're chock full of sugar. This is yeah. not helpful for you. <laughs> too much caffeine, too. That's way, way out of recommendations. Yeah. It's, I mean, people are buying them by the case thinking yeah. that their milk production increases when they drink these things. And, and they're really to be completely yeah. avoided yeah. in that excessive range. Yeah. Well, and, and the caffeine levels, too. I mean, that yeah. differentiates yeah. how you how you control your body, how you sleep. So, you know, if you're breastfeeding or you or you just had a baby you know you need that sleep and caffeine can definitely disturb (laughs) that so yes and your baby sleep too if you're really taking it in in that massive amount and it's transferring Mm -hmm. in through the milk and then you're you're Mm -hmm. so anytime that you want to take a supplement like that especially with the teas you know uh consult your doctor you know, it can be a disappointing conversation if you got your heart set on it because, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. those things just don't match up. Right. And they're going to say, hey, try to stick to the water. Um, but, again, circling back to these these decisions that you're making now last a lifetime. So it's really important to focus on eating healthy for all the reasons that we've been mentioning. But I think one of the one of the very commonly known things is that women who are exclusively breastfeeding have a tendency to lose weight rapidly. Mm -hmm. So you're drinking all this extra water, you're eating all this extra food, and it does not seem like it's possible that you're going to be losing weight. However, it's highly, highly likely that you are Mm -hmm. if you're exclusively breastfeeding. Um, It's easy to get carried away with that as well and think that you're a step ahead and start to diet. Again, Mm -hmm. diet, a term that doesn't necessarily need to be included in your life as a breastfeeding person. So keeping in mind that slow weight loss over several months is the safest way to lose weight. Definitely. So even though it's happening faster than expected, this is your body controlling this weight loss. It does not need an aid. Mm -hmm. So just keep doing what you've been doing. Limit caffeine. Always avoid alcohol and drugs. Um, I think that... Sometimes people feel like their bodies are bouncing back, but it does take a long time. It does, you yeah. Know, it takes a long time. So it took it nine months to yes. create that baby and, and get it out. Long. So it's going to take, so be patient. Like I talked about earlier, you got to be patient with the process. That's for sure. So on the topic of um, babies and mothers and nutrition, pediatric nutrition is extremely important as well. Everything we've talked about can be applied into that same group of people. So you can understand and know recommended amounts for children as well. It's, you know, they're going to be needing to take in the same foods. It's just, it's a, you know, it's a, it's not a mini adult, Mm -hmm. but, you know, a child is a person who needs to be on the right track nutritionally. And it's so key, Mm -hmm. whether they're at school whether they're learning how to control their, you know, emotions, their emotional range. Mm-hmm. Nutrition plays a huge factor in how right. those things go for them. So, yep. you know, currently in the United States, we're seeing a massive uptick in children with high blood pressure yeah. and children experiencing diabetes, diabetes yeah. way too soon, mm-hmm. way too soon. Very big one. So I think that life is busy. People get into a rush. I don't think that parents ever have the intention of anything like that ever happening within their home. 
But, you know, you can use the same apps that you use for yourself, right. you know, if you're eating right. better. You can use the same log that you use for yourself and apply it to your children. Yeah, apply it to the whole family. Right. Mm-hmm. Everybody can participate mm-hmm. in that. Cooking together, kids love this, mm-hmm. love it. There's no better way to get a kid to try a new yeah. vegetable than letting them cook it cook themselves it. or help with cooking. Yep. Yeah. You know, and if the child is too young to be up at the counter cooking, pull the high chair in. Mm-hmm. Watch. Let them see you. Yeah, hand them a wooden spoon. They have all kinds of fun little cheap toys and things that kids can pretend that they're cooking with. So mm-hmm. integration of the family really makes the healthiest outcomes. Um, the USDA has a lot of really good information as well about helping children come to the table, helping children how to use cups, forks, spoons, mm-hmm. knives, those are all directly connected to their nutritional ability to decipher what's good for them to eat and what's bad for them to eat right. throughout their lives. Right. So active participation in your kid's life is a really big deal. Um, and everybody benefits mm-hmm. from the family getting involved in nutritional choices. Yeah. And I think reiterating new foods every month or a few, you know, few weeks mm-hmm. helps too, because I think everyone's tastes change, even kids, yeah. adults. So that's for sure. Trying new foods, even if they didn't like it the month before, try it again. Yeah. You never know if they're going to like Cook it this it time. Cook it differently. Yeah. <laughs> never know. That's for sure. So no matter what stage of life you're at right now, if you're having children, if you're an adult or older adult, taking simple steps to improving your health through diet and nutrition can make a big impact later on down the road. If you are someone that needs assistance with nutrition, please don't hesitate to reach out. There are a lot of great resources out there that can be helpful in changing your nutrition habits. Nutrition.gov and MyPlate.gov, which Hillary um, mentioned earlier, are some great resources for proper eating habits and nutritional information. Um, If you seek more of a direct meal plan, talk to your doctor or dietitian. A registered dietitian or nutritionist can give you a meal plan to go by your goals and your uh, nutritional needs. And if you're a patient here at Cass County Health Clinic, um, myself, Louise, is uh, more than happy to set up an appointment to go over nutrition and diet more in detail for any age group. So that is all that we have for today, and we hope that this HealthCast has been informative and helpful to our listeners. We bring information to you to educate and enlighten the public on the importance of various health concerns and topics that would be beneficial to the improvement of health and well-being for our community. So funding for this podcast was provided whole or in part by the Illinois Department of Public Health, the Office of Women's Health. The Cass County HealthCast is a project of the Cass County Health Department in Cass County, Illinois. And information given in today's podcast is not the personal opinions or views of those speaking and is information gathered and distributed for the sole purpose of health education and promotion. If you have any questions or you would like to suggest a topic, please call the Cass County Health Department at 217-452-3057 and ask for Louise or Hillary. Also, please visit us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And visit our website at www.cascohealth.org. That's C-A-S-S-C-O-H-E-A-L-T-H.org. So thank you for listening, and until next time, stay well.